Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. 24's podcast, the best video gaming and sports podcast on the entire internet. We're back. What a surprise. Once again, people took off for New Year's, New Year's Eve. I didn't. I showed up. I'm ready to go. I'm still ready to go. Pause the music. Unpause my music. I don't know why I paused it. I can. I can do that. I'm I'm 24. I'm the lead director. I'm the star. I'm the entertainer. I'm the producer. I'm the editor. I'm the per, I, I, like. I'm the direct. I'm everything on 24's podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I'm the whole shit. Kit Kabuto. Got a great one today. Uh, college football, NFL game day predictions for the final weekend of the 2020-2021 season. Great podcast coming up for you today. A lot of firings, a lot of coaching rumors, a lot of interest coming up, ladies and gentlemen. Money Force Podcast. I will say this. I love that song by Doja Cat. I love that song by Doja Cat. That's my shit. That's my way. Do it like that. Don't get paid. Something like that. I don't know. A little bit of fun. A little bit of fun. You know, before the podcast gets started. You know, I was on eBay. I was looking up MF Doom albums, right? I was looking them up. You know, just to see. Just, not, not because I'm in the market for one. But just because I kind of just wanted to see what's going on with MF Doom's articles. Because he just died. He died. Technically, he died two months ago and things of that nature. So, you know, I was looking at some of his articles, specifically Mad Villain. I have it on, you know, on my phone and stuff like that and on iTunes. But I was like, I don't really want to buy it again on vinyl. And it's like some of the albums that I was looking up. Not looking up, but some of like the bids. Or the auctions that were going up for Mad Villain or Mad Villainy. Like one was like, I kid you not, one was going up yesterday. Like the bidding was pretty like stable. It was stably rising and now it's like at 102. Like I was maybe going to get it, but then I was like, yeah, like now it's, now it's, now it's priced out of my price range. I'm like, ah. I was like, maybe if it was like $50, but it's $100. It's like, I've, I've spent enough money. Spend enough. I, I, you know, you gotta be. Now I gotta go back and not buying stuff for like a good solid couple of years, like stuff that I want. And it's so damn hard, you know. You come off of like, you know, when you when you spend like X amount of money. You don't have to be like a rapper, you know, when it comes to spending money. But it's like, you know, sometimes when you spend, it's like being. There's this term. It's financially disciplined, right? It's not buying stuff that you know you need. It's buying stuff that you want. And then becoming a little bit financially undisciplined, right? Where you start buying up stuff that you don't necessarily need, but you want. Because maybe maybe it's just a cool, maybe it's a pair of jeans, maybe it's a sweatshirt, maybe it's a hoodie. I kid you not, I've been very financially disciplined for like the last couple of years. And then I had this big spending spree and stuff like that. 
during a pandemic, maybe not the smartest of stuff. But I, you know, I saved up a lot of money. And then I got all these vinyls. I got a record player. I got Tay Tay. I got a Taylor Swift album. I got a PS5. I got a lot of stuff. <laughs> but again, it comes with being like financially disciplined and saving up a lot of money over the course of years. And then like once I saw like how much money I spent this year, I was like, okay, now uh, get off of eBay. I'm like, get off. Like already having a lot of crap that I spent money on. But, um, you know, I was on eBay and I was just looking up, you know, albums and things of that nature. And then I got, um, and then I got, what else did I get? Or not what else did I get? I saw like on the Pretty Reckless's website, kind of because this has been interesting to me. I was kind of interested to see like when their special editions of Death by Rock and Roll. I cannot believe I'm saying this. Death by Rock and Roll, the Pretty Reckless's new album is coming out next month. Cannot wait to get it. But I've been, um, you know, I've been looking at their website. I've been looking at some of their albums just because I'm interested to see how fast they're going to sell out of some of these special albums. A little bit of context, right? I was, um, you know, I was, I was shocked and surprised. Maybe not shocked, but like a little bit surprised that the Pretty Reckless's newest album coming out like, I remember I, I learned about it like late last month, late in December, right? And that's because of my own stupidity and me not me not necessarily staying up to track or up to date with the Pretty Reckless. And they um they got a new album coming out next month and I realized it. it I was ironically enough looking at like something on eBay or I, I think I was like looking at a Taylor Swift album. It was Folklore, which I also have been listening to a lot. And um, the Pretty Reckless, they had their newest album, you know, be sold out of the special white edition, which I, it, it looks cool. I'm not going to lie to you. It looks kind of cool. And I was surprised at it. I was like, this is fake, right? This, this, is, this is a photoshopped picture, right? I can't believe people are dumb enough to purchase this or some idiot is dumb enough to put this on eBay. And uh, no, I was the jackass. I was the moron. I didn't realize that the Pretty Reckless had a completely new album come out and they have it on these special editions these special colors white green red and blue the white and the green they had like really really limited quantities of like they had 250 white vinyls and then they had like seven not 700 they had like 500 green vinyls and then for the blue which is the edition i got they had like 750 then the red has like 1500 right so some of the vinyls are, like, regardless, the vinyls are, like, in pretty rare supplies. And on top of that, they're in specific colors. So it's not like you can get, seven, like, 1,500 white vinyls. You can only get 250, and they're already sold out. And I just kept on seeing them get sold out and sold out. And then I finally got mine, which is the blue one, which my favorite color is blue. You go into my room, you will see a whole lot of blue. I'm not going to lie to you. And I bought it, and today, like, I bought um, the blue vinyl, like, a couple of weeks ago. And I was wondering when it was going to sold out. It sold out today. I can't wait for the Pretty Reckless's newest album. You may be asking me, 24, why are we talking about this? It's something I'm interested in. That's why. I like music. I like records. I'm a bit of a music nerd, but not really. I'm, I'm not like, you know, I'm not like somebody that knows everything about music or whatever. Let me take a swig. Of my iced tea. 
Oh, man, that's so good. <clears throat> so, today, I was, um, what was I doing today? A whole lot of nothing. I was playing, like, Persona 4 Golden. I was um, doing a little bit of work here and there. And, you know, I had on my TV, I had some, you know, I had college football on in the background, you know, I'm like, like even on my day off, even when like, technically this is supposed to be my day off. I'm like all the big bowl games are over with, you know, I, like I'm watching Iowa state, the end of Iowa state versus Oregon, Iowa state destroyed Oregon, by the way, this is like Mike Golick's final like thing on ESPN or whatever that he's supposed to be doing. Next up is A&M versus North Carolina. That should be a mauling. North Carolina stands no shot. Doesn't have a chance. And, um, you know, ha at halftime and even during the game, there was breaking news. Breaking news alert. Breaking news alert. Todd Herman got fired today. Who is Todd Herman? Well, Todd Herman is the head coach of the illustrious, the average, the mediocre, the degenerate, University of Texas football. He is the head coach of UT or Texas, however you want to call them, whatever you want to call them. Head coach of UT. Got fired today. Some people are like, well, why did Todd Herman get fired today? He played in four ball games or something like that, or like something ridiculous like that. Hold on, I got a cough. And I keep hearing the same guy, right? On ESPN, they've essentially been, it's the exact same panel that's been on ESPN for like the last like, oh, six, seven hours talking about bowl games and things of that nature. They've been like, why did Todd Herman get fired? He didn't have enough time to recruit his class. And I'll tell you why in a little bit. But let me kind of continue with his firing, right? So Todd Herman, University of Texas head coach. A little bit more context about UT. UT is like the biggest football program in the United States of America. Or at least they have the most money put into that program. And uh, none of the results that Georgia, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Notre Dame has. No playoff appearances. No you know, uh, big significant wins. They always lose to Oklahoma in the Red River Bowl. To guys that weren't even at the school. For like more than a year to two years, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, and now Spencer Rattler, first-year starter, second-year player, person, whatever you want to call him. So, yes, he's a, he's a good college coach, doesn't belong at UT. So... Steve Sarkeesian is the name that's kind of being brought up. He's the name that like people like, and I, and I saw this hours in between. It's like Todd Herman get, getting fired, Steve Sarkeesian getting hired, literally hours in between each other. Think Thursday, Wednesday, Tuesday, somewhere around there. The Longhorns, they played up against some team in San Antonio, I think. They won. Doesn't matter. Get them up, get them out. Texas should be a playoff team. They should constantly be a contender. The reason why, you ask anyone that knows anything about Texas high school, football specifically, Texas has some of the best 
high school football players in the United States of America. We are Ohio in the South. But we but Texas, the University of Texas, is not the Ohio State of Ohio, of, of you know, like we're not the Ohio State of Texas. Essentially meaning that all of the best prospects from Texas would go to Texas if everything goes according to plan. The reality is most of the best prospects in Texas, they're start they've they've already figured it out. They've probably figured it out for like the last 20 plus years. Holy shit. This team kind of sucks. Nobody's playing here. This team sucks. Nobody we we aren't going to win any football games here. This is not a great college program. Why would we want to play here when nobody wants to play here? So what happened is is that you had this and continue to have this mass exodus of native-born Texas athletes not playing in the state of Texas, right? Makes no sense to most native Texans, except when you think about it, when you're like, wait a second, uh, we suck as a program, right? Right? So now what's gone on with the state of Texas, and, P- and they're probably going to have another conversation about it, the panel right now, they're probably going to talk about Tom Herman, and uh, I'll get on uh, Todd Herman here in a little bit, but... The concept with UT is that UT is essentially supposed to be one of the best college football programs in the United States. They're a laughing sock. First and foremost, they don't even play in the SEC because they can't. They would get demolished. They would get crushed. They should be playing in the SEC because they're a part of the South. I'm, I'm from Texas. I want to compete with the best. They would get laughed at if they competed in the SEC. They play in the Big 12. They still can't beat Oklahoma. They still can't beat any of the better players in that conference. And then on top of that, besides Sam Ellinger, who's like, okay. They really have, and Colt McCoy, of course, they really haven't had a Longhorn quarterback in the last 10 plus years. Meanwhile, you got Oklahoma having four first round draft picks in the last, you know, four years. And yes, I think Jalen Hurts should have been a first-round draft pick as well. And yes, I think Spencer Rattler is going to be another first-round draft pick as well. So now, where is the University of Texas supposed to go? Enter in Steve Sarkeesian, right? So you have the guys again talking about recruiting, recruiting, recruiting. You got to give Tom Herman some ch- some time to recruit. Right? Give Tom Herman some time. Give Tom Charlie Strong some time. You want to know what? You want to know what? They've got enough time. 4 years. You should have the roots of your college football foundation. UT was never, ever in contention for being a playoff team this year. They were never, ever, 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 ever going to be in the college football playoffs. Let's just get that out of the way, right?
Secondly, Texas, with their best football team, with Oklahoma being in a rebuild, still lost to Oklahoma with a red shirt freshman, right? That's the terminology for Spencer Rattler, a red shirt freshman, Spencer Rattler. They still lost to Oklahoma again. With C.D. Lamb gone, with Kenneth Murray gone, Neville Gallimore gone, Jalen Hurts gone, Trey Sermon gone. All these great, fantastic players. They found more players. All of their players, gone. Still lost. Wasn't in contention for play, for the play, you know, for the playoffs. Didn't even play Big 12 game. Right? Significantly below the expectations set for the University of Texas. He's not supposed to be playing in bowl games. Who did he beat? Who did they play up against this year? Texas bowl game. What was their Texas bowl game? Let me look it up. What was it? Who did they play up against? <clears throat> Colorado University. <laughs> I didn't even know that. And I watched like part of the game. I couldn't even remember who they played up against. I was like, who did they play up against? Right? Not going up against high level competition. It's not like Oklahoma, right? It's not like 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 let's swap. Let's swap. Right? Oklahoma goes up against Colorado University. What do you think happens? Colorado University still gets destroyed. Right? Let's swap it again. The Florida Gators go up against University of Texas. Who do you think wins? We all know who it is. Florida, obviously. Point being, right? When we talk about UT, when we talk about Oklahoma, when we talk about top-tier football programs that have a lot of boosters, that have a lot of money invested in them, you can't figure out a way to get players in your own state when your state is a breeding ground for football players. The perfect example of Todd Herm, Todd, Tom, Todd Herm, whatever his name is. Perfect example of him as a recruiter not being able to recruit players. Marvin Mims decommitting to the, to the United, uh, not to the United, Jesus Christ, to the University of Texas. Billy Bowman decommitting from the University of Texas. Do you want to know where they went to? We talked about it on the podcast. This is a pop quiz. This is months ago. Pop quiz. Where did Billy Bowman and Marvin Mims, two decommits from the University of Texas, go to? By the way, significance of those two two players from Texas decommitting from Texas, um, the the significance of it is that they're wide receivers. Do you want to know where they went to? Want to know where two great wide receivers went to? They went upstairs to Oklahoma. Not OSU, OU. And by OSU, I don't mean Oklahoma State. I mean, not Oklahoma, damn it, Ohio State University. I'm talking about 
Oklahoma State University, the other OSU or the other O, like there's so many O's and U's and OSU's and O, like I get very confused very easily. I misspeak all the time. Don't hold me to it. Maybe not don't hold me to it, but don't like, you know, harp on me too much. You know what I mean. Point is, right? Todd Herman can't even get players from his own state, the state of Texas, to join up with the United, not, damn it, the United, god damn it, I'm misspeaking all the time now, the University of Texas, can't even get those guys, Billy, Billy Bowman, Marvin Mims, to the University of Texas, can't get those guys to them, to that school, to that school, excuse me, the theory being, Steve Sarkeesian can, and I hate what this guy, who's been talking about you know, Todd Herman, like he's talking about how Todd Herman can't get players or he hasn't had the time. He has had time. He missed out on C.D. Lamb. He missed out on Hollywood Brown. He missed out on Billy Bowman. He missed out on Marvin Mims. These are kids from his own state that Lincoln Riley is flying into under the cover of darkness like he's a Navy SEAL and in in some type of espionage agent like he's James Blaypen' blonde or blonde out of 007 taking his pistol with a suppressor on him, trying to capture Marvin Mims and Billy Bowman in the dark of the night out of the state of Texas. And I got to hear somebody on ESPN talk about how, you know what, Billy Bowman, Marvin Mims, guys that went, you know, went to Oklahoma, went upstairs, Oklahoma, those guys, he didn't have a chance to recruit. He didn't have a chance to get his guys, even though he's going to have, I think, a first-round offensive lineman. He's going to have a first-round defensive lineman. And on top of that, last year, he had Devin Duvernay and, like, one or two more players that are NFL players right now. Connor Williams as well. He's had those guys. He's had players. Why can't he beat Oklahoma? This was the year. I heard relatives. I heard people that went to UT. That graduated UT, friends from high school, relatives that went to UT, saying, 24, this is our year. This is our big year. Oklahoma's rebuilding. We're going to beat them in the Red River rivalry or the Red River Bowl, the Red River Bowl shootout or whatever you want to call it. We're going to beat them because they don't have Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, Jalen Hurts, CeeDee Lamb, Kenneth Murray, Neville Gallimore, Trey Sermon, et cetera, et cetera, Mark Andrews, Hollywood Brown. They don't have any of those guys. They got rookies. And they lost to Iowa State this year at 24. We got them in the bag, right? Doors wide open for UT. We, all we got to do is just step in. They couldn't even do that. They got smoked in the Red River rivalry. And on top of that, Oklahoma benched Spencer Rattler for like two quarters, or technically it was like in the second quarter, I think. And then they brought him back out for the second half, and they beat the dog out of UT. When it when is when is this you know grand plan? When is this when is he supposed to get players, right? This was the year and they fell short of it. They should have been a college football playoff team this year. And I always talk about it. I was and I was thinking about this as I was prepping for this podcast, right? I thought about it like this. I was like, listen, man. I get all of the great high school players, all of the great college players 
from the state of Texas that are playing right now, playing college, playing high school. I put them on one team next year. Texas is going to go to the national championship game. I put them on the University of Texas football team. I put all those guys, all those great football players from UT, not from UT, from the state of Texas, on the University of Texas's football team. And do you know what happens? They all go to the national championship game. I can't guarantee that they're going to win. Can't guarantee they're going to win. But they're going to make a lot of noise in the regular season. They're going to dominate certain teams. They're going to destroy certain teams. Right? They're going to beat the dog out of people. There's way too, and I keep talking about, way too many recruits don't want to go to UT. Way too I don't know what they're selling dudes on at UT. It cannot be that we're UT, we, you know, we're Central Texas, we're Austin, we're Texas. You can stay here in Texas, quick drive, love Texas, Texas, great state. Love Texas. It worked Texas. You can't sell them just on Texas. They're from Texas. They know all about Texas. You got to sell them on the most important thing that football players want and that people sell millennials short on. People always talk about how millennials are, you know, millennials, they're, they're, they're really selfish. They're really self-absorbed. They're narcissistic. Everybody's self-absorbed and narcissistic, by the way, at least to some degree. But the one thing that they sell millennial athletes on short, they sell them short on. They don't want to play and they don't want to win. That is where people get millennials incredibly wrong. That's where they judge them way too sharply and way too harshly. It's like, you don't think that millennials want to win? The whole concept of millennial Texans not playing in UT is that they want to win, but it's not their damn jobs to change the whole culture of the of the University of Texas. It's not their job. It is the job of the athletic director, of the coaches, of whoever is is at the top down to change the program. It's not the kids. It's not the teenagers, it's not the young men who are 20 years old, 21, 22, 23. Sometimes 24. It's not their damn jobs to fix the program. It's the people, it's the actual people who get paid Millions of dollars to fix the damn program. It's their fault. In some cases, billions of dollars. Let the people at the top figure this shit out. Just go ahead and play. But play for a team that you want to actually play for and win for. Don't be miserable in Texas. Be happy at Oklahoma. Or Ohio State. Or Clemson. Or Alabama. Inner, Steve Sarkeesian. What am I watching? I'm watching an ESPN commercial with a girl, with one of those girls in the fishnets and the WWE belt. The red-haired, the red-haired one with the braids in her hair. Like she, I like, I get it. She's an athlete, but like, okay, all right, kind of a scripted athlete, all right. Hold on, let me take a swig. So 
So enter Steve Sarkeesian. Alabama offensive coordinator. <clears throat> he was the only Alabama coach or head coach or coach that filled in for head coach because Nick Saban contracted the coronavirus this year. He beat it, luckily. Steve Sarkeesian came in and he said, hey, it's my turn. I got to pull. I got to roll. I got to play. Technically coach. And he did. And Alabama won and succeeded against the, I don't know who they played up against, but it, it, the game wasn't close. It was one of their 50-point blowout victories. Wasn't even close. Played one, wasn't even close. And now you have him at the University of Texas. And you want to know what he can sell all of the recruits on? A winning culture. Now, I am not the type of person to be like, well, you know, this coach from this specific co coaching tree can can essentially change the culture completely and not, and, and become the, the next great Knicks. I'm not one of the people that's like, you know what, if we get this guy from this coaching tree, he can be this and this for this. It, it's like, No, he can't. But can Steve Sarkeesian sell them on, hey, like, guys, we're going we're gonna to go out there and we're going to win football games. Can he sell them on that? Oh, yes, he can. And more importantly, I love what he did at Alabama. I loved his play calling, his ability specifically to set things up in the passing game via his play calling, his ability to utilize the quarterback position and to develop pocket passers who understand how to break down defenses and have all of these interesting options. Like, it's going to be a little bit of growing, uh, some growing pains in the state of Texas. I'm not going to lie to you. He may not get fully engaged until his second, until his second year, right? That may be the reality of the situation. You may not see UT become what they should be until his second, maybe third year in the league. What may or may not happen May, not may or may not, but what will probably happen is that in his second, third years that you'll start to see UT's offense come online. But in his first year, I don't listen, man. A lot of people, I'm not going to lie to you, man. A lot of people, they don't work as hard as they as they should, right? I'm not going to lie to you. Like a lot of people talk about how, like I don't know how Todd Herman allowed Billy Bowman and Marvin Mims to get out from under Texas. I really don't. I, I don't. I don't understand that. I, I have no idea how that happens. I really, really don't. Not to mention C.D. Lamb, Jalen Hurts. Like, C.D. Lamb was, uh, at his time, was one of the best Texas wide receivers in, in, in the state of Texas's history. And then Marvin Mims, and then Billy Bowman. Like, I just, I don't get it. Got to find ways to develop the quarterback position. I talk about it in the NFL. It's the most important position in all of football. It's the most important position in all of college football as well. I said all of football, didn't I? That includes college football. Let me do this. So Steve Sarkeesian can sell recruits on, hey, we're going to win. But also, and more importantly, he can also develop quarterbacks. I don't think it's going to happen in his first year, it may happen in his second year. He's got that guy that I really, really like that, that came in for Sam Ellinger because Sam Ellinger had a shoulder injury during 
the bowl game against Colorado University. Do you want to know what happened? His name, I think, is Char- Charles or Charlie Thompson or something like that. He was awesome. I was like, now that, ladies and gentlemen, is a guy that Steve Sarkeesian can and should work with. And as soon as the national championship happens, Steve Sarkeesian should be finding an apartment in Austin, Texas. There's a lot of them. Find one, Steve. And he should be calling up that guy, Charles Thompson, Charlie Thompson, whatever the hell his name, call him up, make sure that he's ready. And give him some plays, give him some film, start working with him, Steve. Because he could be something special for UT. That's a 30-minute diatribe on the drama that's surrounding the University of Texas. And see, I really, really like Steve Sarkeesian. Let me tell you something. I haven't spoken a lot about him. I think he could be a great fit for university for the University of Texas. And let me put let me tell you something right now. What exactly what exactly does it mean for Steve Sarkeesian to have success? Simply put, playoffs. And not bowl games, ladies and gentlemen. We're talking playoffs. Playoffs. Hopefully in the top four. And yes, I don't think that's big expectations. You want you hey man, you want to settle. You settle on your own damn time, not on 24th podcast. We don't settle for nothing. You want to settle for mediocrity? That's your business. My business, my business is all about winning football games. And that's what I'm all about. Except this year with the Dallas Cowboys. I'm not about winning football games. I'm about losing football games. So that way we can have a high draft pick. So that way we can potentially draft a damn corner. So that way the Dallas Cowboys can potentially get Patrick Sertain or Caleb Farley a corner to help out Trevon Diggs so that way the secondary for the Dallas Cowboys will be better so that way when they face off against some of these teams and playoffs, they'll be a beat the team in playoffs. Dak Prescott's coming back, Tom Ron Smith, Leo Collins, Travis, Travis Frederick's not coming back, he's retired. Tyler B. Adash, Zach Martin. I love how I just went on like a 30-minute diatribe and then on like the final couple of minutes I made it a cowboy topic. But yeah, Steve Sarkeesian is kind of circling back. Steve Sarkeesian, stay on track 24. Don't get distracted. Steve Sarkeesian. Really, really awesome hire by the University of Texas. And when I saw his name up, I was like, hold on a minute. Woo, baby. And the thing is, I saw Joel Klatt say, I think on Friday, that apparently Steve Sarkeesian had already agreed to become the head coach of Alabama, which I was like, that's BS, Joel. That's BS. Obviously, it is now because he already, you know, he's not, he's not at Alabama anymore. Technically, he is up until, you know, Alabama wins the national championship. But after that, he's gone. Gone to UT. And I will watch a lot more UT football than I watched this year. I'm not going to lie to you. And I watched a lot of UT football, but I... I'm going to have to watch some more. I'm going to watch some more. Hopefully he's already... Is recruiting season over with? Yeah, I think so. So again, a year. But we'll see. So, anyways. Speaking of head coaches being fired and hired... 
a lot of head coaching turnaround has been going on in the last couple of hours. Ian Rappaport, Tom Pelissero reporting news and information that I had not heard in months, but could probably be inferred. Jacksonville and the Jets are planning on moving on from their head coaches. I think Jacksonville has a pretty smart plan. I'll talk about that in a couple minutes. I think the Jets are pretty stupid. Let me get into why, but let me hit the Jags first. So I talked about it a little bit where I was like, you know, it kind of sucks that, you know, Doug Marone is going to have to fall on his own sword in this, you know, sense because, you know, the Jags, because the owner, the ownership, they haven't given him any shot to win football games by literally trading away all of his best players and then firing the GM and then the head coach, right? Just getting rid of all of his best players. So it's literally, they're being set up for failure. But I talked about it. I was like, as much as you did them dirty when it comes to not being able to play players, not play players, but have players, you traded away Jalen Ramsey, A.J. Boye, Yannick Ngakwe, Calais Campbell, you released Leonard Fournette, released all of his good players, right? Like as much as that kind of burns you, or burns him, you also got to do him again dirty. Got to fire him. I don't think he's that good of a head coach, regardless. I think there's better candidates out there. And you know what? Rumor has it. Ooh, rumor has it. My Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network, he is gone. Sometime after this week. Or technically after next, uh, yes, uh, tomorrow's game. He fulfilled his purpose, and now it's time to take him out. He's gone. So what does this mean for Jacksonville? Who do they have as a head coaching or as a head coach candidate within the NFL? Well, they got some guys, a couple of guys, you know. One of them that comes to mind isn't even somebody who's coaching. It's Urban Meyer. Hmm. Hmm, I like that. I like the sound of that. Urban Meyer has been rumored to think that NFL head coaching jobs are interesting. He used to, he was the former head coach of the Ohio State. He was the head coach for, I don't know, like 10 years. I think he won a natty. Great head coach for them. And listen, man, I'm not one of these like old school believers on head coaches and offensive coordinator. Like, I think that you can get a college head coach or college, maybe offensive coordinator, and turn them into an NFL head coach. Especially if all the offensive coordinators are just old in the league, right? And especially because, and I wouldn't say this if this wasn't true, college coordinators, they have, some of them do, the best ones do, they have the mindset to become better and great NFL coaches to NFL coordinators to NFL head coaches, right? They have this weird mindset where they're trying to run, I don't want to say a pro-style offense, but there's not a lot of like college gimmicks to it, right? Where in college, it's like if you're, for example, Alabama, right? You can just run the football against the majority of the teams and beat the majority. Steve Sarkeesian, the reason why I think he's going to be an awesome, an awesome NFL head coach, 
but obviously he's not going to. He's going to UT. The reason why, even if like he if if he did go to the NFL, I think he would be fine. The reason why is because a lot of what he does in college can be transferred to the NFL. Obviously not everything, but a lot of the concepts that he runs at Alabama can definitely be transferred to the NFL. It's a spread offense that's dominating the NFL right now. At least the concepts are spread offenses and things of that nature. With a focus on, maybe not a focus, but with an attention to running the football. What does that mean? It's a bad way to to essentially describe um, essentially showing that you can run the ball without actually relying too heavily on it and just constantly running it. A Notre Dame player, um, I forgot, the, the linebacker for Notre Dame, I was watching the, the hype-up video, he described it as it's window dressing. And it is. It's similar. It's very, very simple concepts, but a lot of window dressing. It's a lot of, hey, we're going to have Devontae Smith go up and and, and, uh, and block for a tight end on a screen play on one play, but on that same play, on that same read, he's going to chip and then run a slant. Right? It's concepts like that. It's like, oh, yeah, that'll fly in the NFL. Maybe not all the time, but it'll fly. But circling back, because I know I probably lost a little bit of focus. So circling back to Jacksonville, not necessarily Steve Sarkeesian. But Jacksonville, they're talking about Urban Meyer. I think Urban Meyer can have a nice transition to the NFL. I think he's going to struggle for the first couple of years because, I mean, remember, he's been out of coaching for the you know the last couple of years. But yes, like, Urban Meyer in Jacksonville with the number one overall pick and getting Trevor Lawrence, I think will work out beautifully for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, how well... We'll see. We'll see. I mean, first they got to fire Doug Marone, and then they got to hire Urban Meyer, and then they got to draft Trevor Lawrence. So we'll see what happens going forward from here. When it comes to, obviously, the Jacksonville Jaguars and Doug Marone and Urban Meyer and things of that nature. Now let's get on to the idiots of the league, and I'll cover the Jets more in a little bit. First, uh, give me like, uh, give me like, give me like two seconds. Hold on. I'll put on some Doja. I'll put on some Doja. I'll be back in a couple of minutes. Hold on. I'm back. Sorry about that. I should have plugged in my computer first. Hold on.
came back. So, kind of transferring, transitioning to the Jazz. So, I've been waiting for a confirmation because, you know, I don't want to, I didn't want to speculate and be like the Jets are firing their head coach without somebody coming out and saying the Jets are firing their head coach. Hold on. Sorry about that. I didn't want to speculate, but um, it was pretty obvious that Adam Gase was terrible. But I also didn't, like, hear anything for, like, months on in. And then it was like, oh, wait. Uh, on the same day that the Jags are talking about firing their head coach, Doug Marone, Jets are also going to fire their head coach, Adam Gase. Uh, the Jets are expected to part. This is straight from the article. The Jets are expected to part ways with coach Adam Gase after Sunday's final. Against the Patriots, per sources, kicking off a search that the entire NFL world has believed was inevitable. Among, I just took a, like, a deep gulp of my power rate. Among the candidates who are slated, who are slated to be considered, are Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy. If the Jets or the Jags, if they don't land Urban Meyer, they should probably tar target excuse me, Eric Bieniemy. I think, again, the Jags are a better landing spot for Eric Bieniemy. Um, it seems like the Jets are way more volatile and a way worse organization. A little bit of context about the Jets. The Jets don't allow their coaches, their head coach, to pick their individual coaches, right? Which is uh, wrong. Uh, in that respect, in that sense, right? <clears throat> because um, the Jets, for example, they picked out Greg Williams as the defensive coordinator for the Jets. That did not end uh, well at all, considering that he's fired and he gave up the game-winning play against the Raiders, which if he did do that and he wasn't trying to lose that game, then, I mean, that's just, I, like, I, again, I don't think he should have a job in the NFL ever again. Because uh, he also teaches players to play dirty and to target other players and things of that nature. But yes, um, if Eric Bieniemy was in contention for a head coaching job, then yeah, Jacksonville should be the job that he should be looking for. Colts defensive coordinator Matt Eberflus. I think that's overrated like listen i would not hire a defensive coordinator that does not understand offenses at all and the significance of uh, significances of offenses as well like i would hire an offensive-minded coach before i hire a defensive-minded coach like that's just that's just a personal bias for me but i do know that matt eberflus is a um he bet to be honest with you um, he may be a better defensive mind right, uh, right now in the modern day than Mike Zimmer, considering what he did with Xavier Rhodes and how better Xavier Rhodes is playing. Because everybody, including myself, thought Xavier Rhodes was washed, and then he gets to Eberflus's defense, and then Eberflus's defense is way better with Xavier Rhodes in it than you know with Mike Zimmer. And obviously, there's a lot of talent on that defense, not just Xavier Rhodes, Darius Leonard, DeForest Buckner. They got some players. And then you have 
the Ravens defensive coordinator, Don Wink Martindale. Okay. Titans offensive coordinator, Arthur Smith. And Rams defensive coordinator, Brandon Staley. To college coaches such as Iowa State's Matt Campbell, Michigan's Jim Harbaugh, and Florida's Dan Mullen to everyone in between. I just have a question for the Jets. And when I read that list, I was like, I kind of snickered a little bit because I was like, where is the biggest two names? It's funny how that works, right? Like, if we're going to college, I would be doing, I would be calling up Lincoln Riley. I would be caught like every single year. If I, if I was a GM, I would be calling up Lincoln Riley. I'd be calling up Urban Meyer. I'd be calling up Nick Saban. I would be calling up Dabo Sweeney, especially Lincoln. Like I, like it's so weird to me that Lincoln Riley is just not mentioned ever in head coaching searches. And then you have like, like head coach, like, like coaches from Dan Mullen who just got smoked by Lincoln Riley. And then you have fucking like Matt Campbell from Iowa state who just got smoked by him in the big 12 championship game. I mean, like he's there. He's one of the best offensive minds in the NFL. And people are like, we're not going to acknowledge that that's the case. And then, weirdly enough, Jim Harbaugh's being considered. And it's like, this is this is a perpetration by the media, right? I just want you to know this is a perpetrate, perpetrate, perpetration, perpetration, perpetrate, however I said it, the first time when I got it right. Now I'm getting it wrong a bajillion different ways. But whatever I said is correct, right? This is a infatuation and I'm changing up what I'm describing now an infatuation with Jim Harbaugh in the media way too many people in the media love Jim Harbaugh I have no idea why I don't get it Jim Harbaugh is overrated he has not won the Big Ten championship game ever he hasn't won against Iowa State, ever. He has gone 500 with, I think, Michigan State and Wisconsin. Let alone being a a top-ranked team that has gone to the playoffs. He has been a top-ranked team. He just has not gone to the playoffs because when he is a top-ranked team, he loses that ranking as a top-ranked team. So the fact that he, and by the way, I've seen his offenses and I was like, wait, this is everybody, this, and I remember this year and I saw his offense this year with Joe Milton. I was like, this is the coveted Michigan offense that I kept hearing so much about. This is the coveted Michigan team that everyone keeps on talking about. Nobody will ever shut up about. They got destroyed by Michigan State. They didn't play up against Ohio State, which they would have gotten destroyed by Ohio State. Remember that? Remember how I said like like they didn't have they didn't they they didn't play football for three weeks at the end of the season. There's a lot of bad speculation by other people. I think it's correct. I think Michigan was trying to avoid people. How do you let COVID run through your team for three weeks straight? It'd be different if you missed one team one week. They didn't play up against Iowa State. 
The Big Ten tried to reschedule Michigan so that way they could play because Michigan said they wanted to play. And you want to know what happened? Michigan didn't play for the majority of the month of December. They dodged Iowa State at the end of the season. They didn't even let it get to Thursday. They said the game is off by Tuesday. We can't play. We have way too many COVID-positive patients. They They said the same thing against Ohio State. They said it again the week before that. Why, why is he hired? Why is he so coveted? I don't get it. So you want your boy to go from Michigan where he has lost a plenty, where he can't find a way to develop quarterback talent at all? You want him who, had, who could not get any wide receivers to save his life? Donovan Peoples-Jones does not count. He is not a top-tier wide receiver. Can't get a wide receiver to save his life. I don't even know of the Michigan running backs. You would think, right, like if, 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 you know, if the stars are aligned, if I'm reading the stars, what's that quote? What's that quote from that movie? If I'm reading the signs, uh, the, uh, the, the Silver Linings playbook, the, the Jennifer Lawrence line, right, when she wrote Bradley Cooper the note where she's like, if I'm reading the, the, uh, the lines or whatever, like, like, she, like whatever the case is called, right? If I'm reading the lines, he should have a top-tier running back on his resume. Who is the top-tier running back that Michigan has had last couple? I'll wait. I'm sitting down. I'll wait. I'm, I'm, I'm bringing up my recliner. I'll wait. Hold on. Think about it. And just so we're clear on the facts, just so we're clear on the facts, it's pretty easy. It's pretty easy to tell and define top-tier running back, top-tier players based on where they go in the NFL draft, right? It's pretty easy. Who's the top-tier running back? Running back is a pretty easy position to, to, um, to evaluate. Look at how he plays on film. Look at his numbers. That's it. Sometimes statistics can't give you the full story. Sometimes tape can't give you the full full story. But you literally have to watch a little bit of Najee Harris and a little bit of Austin Etienne and then look at their numbers. They're gargantuan numbers. And you're like, oh, yeah, they're first-round draft picks. Let me pull it up for you. Let Let me do both Najee Harris and Austin Etienne. Hold on. It's like taking me forever to type in both of them. So, this year, Najee has 229 attempts, 6.1 yards per carry. 1,300 touchdowns. Want to guess his, 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 touch, not 1,300 touchdowns. That's insane. Jesus Christ. <laughs> 1,300, that's insane. Oh my. 1,300 yards, I apologize, which is significantly above average. 24 touchdowns. Damn good number, Najee. Go ahead, Najee. 24, he's a first round draft pick. Austin Etienne, his numbers are down. But I mean, let me tell you something. His numbers aren't down significantly. He is still a very efficient football player. 168 
attempts, 914 yards, not a 1,000-yard rusher, but check this out, 14 touchdowns, 5.4 yards per carry. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a first-round draft pick. Those are first-round draft picks out running back in college. Where is the Michigan State, not Michigan State, the Michigan running backs? He is in a running offense, and he doesn't have a first-round draft pick when it comes to running back? Can I, let, let me look up first-round running backs. And I'm not, I don't even have to look up first-round draft picks at quarterback for Michigan, uh, not for Michigan State, just for Michigan, because they've never had one, except for Tom Brady, I think. And he, no, technically Tom Brady wasn't a first-round draft pick. Let me just type in running backs. Drafted. Let's see where they went. Oh, this is gonna take way too long. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, this is gonna. Oh wait, no, 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 no. It's it's not. Let's just check out the 2020 draft. Uh, there is no running backs that were drafted. It was Caesar Ruiz, John Use, Bryn, Breedenson. Hudson, Mike Dana, Michael something-something. Donovan Peoples-Jones was drafted in the sixth round, by the way. Um, Their quarterback wasn't drafted at all in the 2019 draft. There was no running backs. Nor were... There was only two players. Two players out of Michigan that were drafted, by the way, in 2018. Mason Cole and Maurice Hurst. Junior, and that's it. Running backs, running backs. Run- Has he seriously not had a running back in his tenure? I mean, I could be mistaken, but if I am, I don't think I am. I don't think he's had a running back drafted. Oh my God. I don't think he's had a running back drafted. The last time Michigan had a running back drafted, not a undrafted free agent, but a running back drafted, it looks like was in 2008. Mike Hart, the 202nd overall pick, sixth round pick 36 going to Indianapolis. That was the last time they had a running back drafted. That was the last time. So let me let me get like put that in proper context, just in case if you 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 haven't had that put in proper context, right? So Nick Saban is a defensive backs coach. That is his specialty. That is the thing that he specializes in. That would be like him not having any defensive backs be drafted. And then some people are going to tell me, well, 24, what about quarterbacks? That's what he specializes in. You're missing the point. The point, and I'll get on the quarterbacks in a little bit. The point isn't that he hasn't had a quarterback be drafted. The point is he's running a run-first offense, and he doesn't have a running back be drafted in the in the NFL draft. 
That's pathetic. And then we can get on to quarterbacks. And then it doesn't look like he's had a quarterback drafted in the last six years. What a surprise. They've all been bad. Joe Milton is not an exception. Let me hold on. Let me let me also look up what Joel Klatt said about Joel, uh, Joe Milton this year. I was like, because I was I was so confused about like what um not confused, but I was like I was weirded out by how high he had had Joe Milton. Like it was abominable to me. I saw again. I saw Michigan play. I think like twice this year, and I was like, Joe Milton is not as good as Joel Klatt thinks he is. Hold on, let me find it. Spelled Joel wrong. Hold on. Let me take a look at it. <clears throat> Let me find him on Collins' show. Oh, Joel Klatt on why Michigan, on why Jim Harbaugh's Michigan team may be his best ever. Let's take a gander at this. The reason I bring Joel Klatt Let me turn it up. is because it's the right time to teach my young friend about the ins and outs, the ebbs and flows, the peaks and valleys of college football. And Joel Klatt is now joining us. For the record, a former minor league baseball player of some renown. who Not, went, not renowned. Very much a failure in, in the baseball. But realm. baseball is a sport built on the ability to overcome failure. That is true. And That's the, true. And the Dodgers... Ratings in this town are enormous because we have, we, and I say we, this city has lived through seeing Kershaw unravel, and they love Kershaw. I don't disagree with that. I think that's why your ratings are so big. The fans have lived through your failures year after year <laughs> after year, and it's like See, you're like family to them. I was going to be you're some... You're like drunk uncle getting D's <laughs> on his report card. I, I, I absolutely love it. Uh, by the way, uh, I... I... I just, just, I didn't really think much about this all weekend, but your near upset of the week was Pitt over, oh, man. over Notre you Dame. You were leading off with that. Listen, I'm on the bench. I'm, yes, I'm on the bench. I will not give you a, a thank you. Okay, thank so you let's. That. that was that was rough. And by the way, Pitt did exactly what I said they were going to do, which was play great run defense, and it didn't work at all. So let's just address that first. Notre Dame. Yeah. The week before they had. My bad. Let's um let's figure out when he starts talking about Michigan and here it is. Boom. I don't know why I just didn't skim through this. This was a waste of time. My bad. An opponent that can actually test them, you know, and and they they thought they were gonna get that in Miami, and they walked out there and just bam, just crushed Miami. Something tells me that that we're in for a game like that against Notre Dame. Like like Clemson is just like. Oh, he's still talking about Notre Dame. Okay. Good, but Ohio State is more committed. They'll fire coaches more quickly. Brady Hoke wouldn't have lasted a four-game losing streak. No. And I think Harbaugh, given that they're a nine and a half win program to a ten win program, and he's right on track, and I think he's done a very good job. I, I'll go a step further. I he has done a good job, and and listen. You know, he's he's going to draw the line share of the, the criticism because there was so much focus on on Jim and, and the antics and the pants. And, you know, although he changed to blue, which is interesting. Right. So he's changed things up. Here's here's one thing to, to really understand about Jim Harbaugh. He's just now adjusting. And, and, and this adjustment has been a little bit late, although if, if it comes to fruition, watch out because. In college football, you can't win at the top end unless you can score 35 points against a really good team. 
Okay, you just can't. That's the sport now. That's the sport now, right? And Bama has had to adjust, and we've talked about it, right? Nick Saban has had to adjust offensively, 35, 40 points in big games. Ryan Day goes to Ohio State. Guess what you have to do against Ohio State now? You can't beat them with Don Brown's defense. You can't just out-defense them and tough them and, and win the game. They came close a few years ago, remember, and they had that overtime game. But then what happened? Ryan Day steps foot in Columbus, Ohio, and guess what happens to that offense? Goes through the roof. Now what do you have to do to beat Ohio State? If you're, if you're Michigan, score. You've got to be able to score, and they haven't been able to even come close to the offensive efficiency. And what I saw last week from Michigan was the – Here we go. Was the corner being turned offensively. Joe Milton, their quarterback, is an incredibly talented guy. He's, he's huge, first of all. He's got a quick, quick release, one of the strongest arms that I've seen in college football in the last four or five years, stronger than Josh Allen or even Herbert. I'm so a little bit of context about Josh Allen – and Justin Herbert, specifically with Josh Allen. Josh Allen is, um, some people think Josh Allen has as big of an arm as uh, Patrick Mahomes, potentially even bigger. This, by the way, was the, I think, Tuesday. Nope, this is three days before Michigan would play Michigan State and get absolutely destroyed by Michigan State. Maybe not destroyed, but would lose 27 to 24 against Michigan State with this um, quarterback and Joe Milton. And I remember watching this game and I was like, this is Michigan? Michigan sucks. This is what I'm talking about with like the media forming their own narrative about John Harbaugh or Jim Harbaugh. John Harbaugh is the Ra Ravens head coach. Jim Harbaugh talking about how Jim Harbaugh is a great head coach, talking about how their players are just fantastic. It's like, then why can't Joe Milton beat Michigan? Big arm, like Josh Allen, can't beat Michigan State. He throws absolute lasers. He can run it pretty well. And here's the other part. They haven't gone pure spread like they tried to do last year with uh, Shea Patterson and just run those like soft zone schemes in the run game. You know what they did in the run game? Uh -huh. They went back to what Harbaugh does well, which was pull guards, pull tackles, run power-oriented schemes, and it all has to stem from number 42, Ben Mason. You're they did that so well that they were unable to get a running back drafted in any draft in the last five to six years. I'm like, well, Joe, why are you bringing up Ben Mason? Technically 10 years since 2008, but I'm only counting Jim Harbaugh's tenure. Let me tell you why. Because Ben Mason was a guy who was a fullback under the old offense. Last year, Gaddis comes in to be a spread coordinator, so he's got to go to defensive tackle. So he played defensive tackle last year, and this year they're like, you know what? Let's, out of the shotgun, go back and be a more power-oriented power run game. So Ben Mason's now back on offense. They're lining him up all over the place. He had several key blocks on the big runs, and they're back to getting that downhill. So now all of a sudden you've got the power-oriented running game, a quarterback that can throw it, and still a defense that I think can, can be efficient and certainly rush the quarterback. This may be Jim Harbaugh's best Michigan team. Right. I'm not saying they'll beat Ohio State. I'm just saying, like, I'm bullish on Michigan after watching them last week. All right. So uh, I'm going to throw a theory at you. Please don't. So <clears throat> that was Joe Klatt talking about Michigan and Joe Milton and Jim Harbaugh 
and how great they are as a football team. Notice, by the way, after that, Michigan went and they fell to the Spartans. Who did they lose to? They lost to Indiana the next week. They lost to Wisconsin the week after that. They beat Rutgers in overtime, 48-42. Then they proceeded to win again, lose, excuse me, not win, lose against a winless team in Penn State. And then they had three straight games that were canceled, Maryland, Ohio State, and then Iowa. That is his track record. That is his record. So if Jim Harbaugh had his best team this year and he only won two games, one against Minnesota, the other one against Rutgers, and then he essentially forfeited three games because he let COVID run rampant throughout his organization, and then he lost another four games in total, losing seven out of nine. Kind of looks like he's not a very good football coach, isn't it? Especially in college. Specifically for this year. Especially with recruiting. Oh my gosh, you can't even get a running back that's drafted? A running back. Let alone a quarterback. Who would want to play for Michigan? Who? They ha- Again, look it up for yourself. I Maybe I'm wrong. But I'm on, I was on Wikipedia, and I was like, I couldn't, I could. They didn't have a running back. I'm uh, now I'm on. Now I'm on twenty four seven sports. I'm gonna look at them because I, I I like Wikipedia, but I also like twenty four seven sports. Twenty four seven, no running backs, no running backs. Oh my God, are they serious? Can I look it up by position? Oh my God, like this is so similar to the Wikipedia page as well. Yeah, yeah. Let me go, let me just scroll all the way down to 2008. He was like a six rounder. Yeah, Mike Hart. Mike Hart was Michigan, was Michigan's last running back that they drafted in a draft, ladies and gentlemen. And the Jets have the audacity to put Jim Harbaugh's name on the short list of head coach. Remember how this whole conversation got started. This whole conversation about Jim Harbaugh in Michigan State got started because the Jets have him on a short list of coaches instead of Lincoln Riley. I got a burp. Excuse me. Instead of Lincoln Riley as a potential candidate for the head coaching job in New York, in the Jets, for the Jets. They're like, we got to get Jim Harbaugh because he's a failure in Michigan and everybody in the media loves him and everybody in the media will love him and nobody will want him fired except those stupid Jets fans that called for Adam Gase's firing a year before everybody else in the media did, including Colin Coward. Instead of Lincoln Riley. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, man. 
if I am Trevor Lawrence, I am still hoping and praying to God that I get drafted by the Jacksonville Jaguars. That's what I'm hoping for. That's what I hope he's hoping for. That's what I hope that actually happens. I may cry grown man tears if he does not get drafted by the Jacks. Speaking of Trevor Lawrence, everybody is losing their fucking minds about Trevor Lawrence. And I talked about it on last night's podcast. I was like, don't lose your mind. Don't get faked out by the okie doke. Don't make the mistake. Don't make the same mistake people have made for the last month. Everybody was now down on Justin Fields. I was not. I said he's one of the best college football players this year. I didn't. I didn't overreact. I was like, this is this is fine. This is fine. He's had a couple of bad games. He's had a couple of, of, of bad stretches. He's still one of the best college football players in college. I'm not gonna get. I'm not gonna take the okie doke. I'm not gonna panic. I'm not gonna freak out. I'm gonna stay stand pat. Some people lost their minds. Some people were like, throw him out. He's bad. Zach Wilson, he's in. How stupid do they look now? So now you have people making the absolute ludicrous, terrible observation where they're like, oh, Justin Fields beat Trevor Lawrence. That means that Trevor Lawrence is worse than Mac, not Mac Jones, excuse me, Justin Fields. That's what that means. At least according to, uh, you know, the people within the media. And it happened again. People got okie-doked. Specifically, somebody within the Jets organization, they're trying to actually make an argument about how the Jets are better off with the second overall draft pick drafting Justin Fields over Trevor Lawrence. Here it is. It's on the Jet X fa- it's on the Jets xfactor.com. The article headline is called The Sugar Bowl could not have turned out better for the New York Jets. Huh? What? And they have picture of Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson and Sam Darnold. It's by the author Robbie Sabo. Reason why I'm gonna when reason why I mentioned his name is I'll talk about him in a couple minutes. Robbie Sabo. Tagline or main like first sentence I don't know what the proper term is when it comes to like the first sentence the tagline I guess for the article is the sugar bowl could not have worked out better for Joe Douglas and the New York Jets's future suddenly the number two pick is loaded what loaded for who exactly loaded for you you're not like you're not trading down in the draft if you think you're first and foremost if you think you're trading down in the draft to get more draft picks that is stupid Sam Darnold has been an absolute failure in the NFL. Let's just get that straight away. Let me pull up Jeff Cavanaugh. He had a fantastic quote, pretty much embodies everything that I think about quarterbacks in the NFL 
that struggle but can't necessarily get not struggle but that are on bad teams but can't necessarily get over those bad teams let me figure let me find it out there's a it was a clip that i accidentally played either yesterday or the day before i had to delete fridays or nope today's saturday yesterday was friday i had to delete thursday's podcast let me pull it up for you let me not the podcast the the clip here let me pull up what jeff cavanaugh perfectly articulates about how you have quarterbacks in the least in this league players in this league that struggle on bad teams and and, and like like essentially like J- jamal adams is a perfect example jamal adams was the bet was one of the best safeties in the league didn't struggle with the jets like it was obvious that he was the best didn't struggle sam Darnold, not the same case right even though he plays the quarterback position which is much more reliant on other players in the safety position, still incredibly bad. Here's Jeff Cavanaugh talking about Sam Darnold and the New York Jets' future with him. You can have thought whatever you thought about Sam Darnold, but I think that good quarterbacks in shit situations play okay-ish, not awful. Not awful. Right? And I'll let him expunge a little bit more about it, if he does. I think you have three years of evidence that Yes, the situation sucks, and the coaching probably sucks, but he hasn't risen above it in any way, shape, or form. I'm picking my next guy. I'm not going into year four and creeping up on the fifth-year option with a guy that's shown nothing. Darnold's been one of the worst quarterbacks in football. I'm not trying to hang on. Maybe it does work with a change of scenery, but I wouldn't bet on it. Let me pull up his numbers for you. Let me pull up his numbers. Sam Darnold. Let's look at it. Let's look up his NFL numbers, right? In the NFL, he is thrown for seventy eight hundred yards, which for a third year player, he should have somewhere close to ten thousand. He's missing three thousand yards. Some would say it's because of his rookie year. He hasn't thrown for four thousand yards in a passing offense, in a passing league. He has eight touchdowns, nine interceptions, a 72.3 passer rating, 1,900 yards, 58.8% completion percentage. Ladies, what, what is going on? Last year, he had he was okay. 19 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. His, his completion percentage was okay. Every other statistic was terrible. 84.3 passer rating, 3,000 yards. Those are all terrible, except for his pass, not his passer rating, his completion percentage. He has completed below average completion percentage in every single year except for his sophomore year. And the NFL. That's terrible. That's god awful. Not to mention his many, many, many performances where it's just like, even though he beat the Jets, he played terribly. Two touchdowns, right? 175 yards, 50% completion percentage and 87.4 passer rating. That's not good, ladies and gentlemen. Not at this league. That is fucking terrible. That's my fingers that were cracking against my chair. He's got to play better. He has not played better. He has been the in in Jeff Cavanaugh's own words, he has been the worst quarterback or one of the worst quarterbacks in the entire sport. So the mere notion, the mere like like assertion that the Jets don't actually have to draft a quarterback in next year's draft, in that they're A-OK with just, like, being complacent and being like, you know what, guys? 
we can we can hang on to Sam. He's won the last couple of games, even though he has been absolutely horrendous and terrible. We can draft another quarterback, right? Or we can trade down because we have such an awesome quarterback is also incredibly ridiculous and foolish and just straight up stupid. Continuing forward with the article. This game called football will humble everybody, and it humbled me last night because I thought that Clemson was going to destroy Ohio State, and uh, they did not. It's a guarantee as sure as Joe Namath's pre-Super Bowl three proclamation or Bill Belichick's overwhelmingly overwhelming shadiness coming from a Jets beat reporter. So like that's uh, it's not necessarily very foreign that they're speculating because the Patriots have destroyed the Jets for the last 20 years. Just when a so-called football expert is riding high, feeling once oats thanks to a streak of glorious predictions, the very same person can come tumbling to earth in a cold-hearted fashion. Inner Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence, the one untouchable entity discussed in an almost godlike tone. Yeah, that was kind of true. His long blonde hair didn't help anybody opposing that idea. The savior every NFL franchise was intentionally tanking for could only be grouped with John Elway, Peyton Manning, and Andrew Luck before him. I, I wouldn't necessarily go as far as to say that because everybody was thought, like, like I, it's hard to evaluate quarterback talent in the NFL when they're still playing in college. But yeah, I saw way too many people talk about how he's like the next John Elway and Peyton Manning, and I'm like, chill. Hasn't even started in the league yet. A generational quarterback prospect he is, and any contrary argument would be viewed with utter disdain. While all of that can still easily be true, like that he's the next Peyton Manning and John Elway, like pause on that. People were saying the exact same thing about Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, and Josh Rosen. Look at how those three guys turned out. Only uh, continuing forward with the article. While all of that can still easily be true, never once questioning the overwhelming hype would be a mistake. Only a respectable personal evaluate personnel evaluator does such a thing. We have no idea what Joe Douglas thinks of the kid. Doug, uh, by the way, does anyone cringe whenever journalists talk and refer to players that are younger than them as kids? Like it, it cringes. I cringe when they're like, you know, like because no player does that. No player is like, you know, the kid, the player. You know, uh, that kid did a really good job. It's like they, they refer to them by their first name. It's like, like, or they refer to them as like, you know, that guy or their jersey number or whatever. Like nobody besides journalists that are old refer to players by kids. Like, like they're like, like in this case, he's like, we have no idea what Joe Douglas thinks of the kid. It's like, dude, like just call him by his first name. Douglas, apparently so would never tell a soul outside of the New York Jets organization. Yet Douglas and the Jets were hammered at every turn for winning a couple of games against winning teams. Based on what exactly? A narrative. No, dumbass. Because they're tanking. And because if the objective of tanking is to get the number one player in the draft, they have failed miserably. Because they have won way too many games now to put themselves in contention to be able to get the number one overall player, specifically Trevor Lawrence. They have run themselves out of the contention. And now the Jags are going to get the number one overall draft prospect, draft pick. So, for example, if a team, let's say, they they love Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence, like every team with half a brain is going to be like, yeah, Trevor Lawrence is still better than Justin Fields. Then what's going to happen is 
you could have gotten more value if you like Sam Darnold, if you had had that number one overall draft pick, because the majority of teams aren't going to bite on instant reaction, uh, instant reactions from the media and be like, oh yeah, Trevor Lawrence beat or lost to Justin Fields. That means Justin Fields is, is better than Trevor Lawrence or whatever. It's like, nobody's going to bite on that narrative, right? The narrative that people are creating. So it makes the first round, the first overall pick that much more invaluable for you going forward because you can trade down and get like three first round draft picks. It's not a narrative, my guy. It's intelligence. On this day, this is, I think, today, right? Yeah, today. The narrative has quickly shifted. And the greatest beneficiaries are the Jets. The Sugar Bowl could not have worked out better for the Jets. No, it could not have. The best way that the Sugar Bowl could have worked out is that um, if somehow, someway, you were able to get Trevor Lawrence. Many Jags fans are now questioning Trevor Lawrence at number one. Who are these supposed Jags fans? And by the way, I don't know of any Jags fans, but I'm pretty sure uh, they're not. I like, 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 I like any. If any Jag fans are now questioning Trevor Lawrence, I'm sorry, those Jags fans are idiots. They're idiots. If you are questioning Trevor Lawrence's ability based upon one game and you didn't do the exact same thing for Justin Fields, and you didn't overreact when, or if you, yeah, if you didn't overreact when Justin Fields did not play well in a lot of those games that um, that were played in the last month, and you're just going to overreact with one game with Trevor Lawrence, sorry, you're an idiot. The impossible has happened. Continuing forward with the article, Lawrence's three touchdown, one interception, three fumble game has many Jacksonville Jaguars fans questioning the blonde savior at number one. Prior to Friday, suggesting Justin Fields in the one spot ahead of Lawrence would equal NFL draft heresy because it is heresy. As a matter of fact, I'm still unmoving and unshaken from Trevor Lawrence at one, Mac Jones number two, and yes, Justin Fields at three. Yeah, he's still where I would put him at. Not an overreaction. I built that up, that concept, that philosophy up over the last month of just and over the last couple of months of Justin Fields not necessarily playing at the same levels as Mac Jones. And yes, he has games where he excels exceptionally, and then he has games up against like Northwestern and even like I think Michigan State where it's like, oh wait, uh, that's not a good game from him. Those two games, I don't like him. Trey Sermon had to run for 300 and like something yards, 335 yards against Northwestern for them to win. If Ohio State didn't do that, they may not have made it to the college playoffs. Continuing form, but Fields' 385 six-yard, six-touchdown, excuse me, night in the face of a wicked second-quarter hit to the side of the body has brought on such feelings. And then he says this, the kid, I cringe, was tough all night. He was impressive to the point that he completely outplayed the Clemson quarterback. He did. To screw up the apple cart this much can only bring positives for the team picking second. To even suggest Fields over Lawrence at number one not only makes fools out of draft experts and the media like but it brings more distrust in the land of jacksonville what i love how he like shows a tweet from albert breer saying trevor lawrence is a jaguar and it's like yeah he is bro 
And Albert Breer is not a Jacksonville Jaguar fan. Again, this is like, this is just a bad article. I rate this a one out of 10 already because he hasn't cited any Jacksonville Jaguar fans' reactions to the game. Continuing forward, the hubris that is putting a Jags uniform on the kid before the college, again, he says the kid, cringy, before the college football season finished is something engineered just for clicks. No, yes and no, of course it is, but also it's true. He's going to, he's going to Jacksonville and only like 1.7K likes. Like, come on, bro, it's not that much. For the Jets, the more confusion at the top, the better the situation. Not really. Because they're going to select Trevor Lawrence. Continuing forward, another part of the article, Fields' stock is sky high. What Fields did Friday night was elevate his stock to new heights. No, not really. His stock is still the same. He's the same player. I said he's one of the best college. Like, like again, like I'm not one of these people that changes my my narrative or my perception of players on a week-to-week basis. It has to be built up and then destroyed over the over weeks and sometimes months. I'm slow as a turtle, but I usually don't fucking slide all over the place and become like a hare and just sleep, you know, when uh when I should be running. Like I'm a tortoise. I a turtle, I just keep on chugging. The turtle and the hare, the turtle and the rabbit story, you know. The rabbit gave up like mid midway through the race instead of being consistent. I'm trying to use that analogy. Analogy, excuse me. An explanation isn't really required when pointing out the obvious fields as ne- newfound love helps the team picking number two in the draft. He's talking about fields stock being sky high. Suddenly, it's not just Justin Fields versus Zach Wilson versus S- Sam Darnold. No, it 1000% still is. The possibilities are now endless. No, it's not. You need a quarterback. Justin Fields is going to be there. Mac Jones is going to be there. Select one of them. Don't try and trade out. That's dumb. Sam Darnold is still very, very terrible. It would be different if you actually had a good quarterback. You do not have one. With Douglas holding the key to the wild card of the draft, the number two pick. No, the wild card of the draft is the number one pick in the draft. Because you can get Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, and Trevor Lawrence. Quarterback-hungry teams will now be running for the second bit, uh, second pick. <clears throat> Wrong. Again, just mentioned it. They'll be running for the first pick because they can get all three of those players, maybe not Sam Darnold, but Zach Wilson and Justin Fields. They can get both of those players, plus also Trevor Lawrence. It's not the second pick. It's the first overall pick. Whereas the power walked, whereas they power walked prior. Suddenly the Jags might be second-guessing. No, they won't. The preset narrative that, that had Lawrence and Teal. Like, it's factual. He's going to be a Jacksonville Jaguar. It's not a narrative. And by the way, I like, as a media member who's talking about narrative building, it's, like, it's 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 surprising to me that a guy that's setting up a media, that's essentially setting up a narrative, is talking about people who are setting up narr- uh, narratives and things of that nature. Even if everything stays the same, Douglas's power in the draft has been exponentially increased. Oh, God, another subject in the article. Douglas is no longer an idiot for not tanking. Yes, he still is because he could have had the first round draft pick and essentially could have had the exact, uh, not the exact same power. Um, he could have more power than, uh, than he has right now because he would have had the first round draft pick instead of the second round and could have essentially done exactly what he's, what you're trying to insinuate that he's trying to do right now, except with Trevor Lawrence. If you like Sam Donald a lot, you can trade down out of the, uh, out of the draft, out of the, um, 
out of the first like two to three picks and then get like multiple first round draft picks in the, in the near future plus the Jamal Adams pick uh, or the picks as well from Seattle and just play ball, right? He's still an idiot for not tanking. Douglas and the Jets were never fullest for winning games. Yes, they are. First of all, tanking in the NFL is an impossibility based on football's natural tendencies. And then he links another article by him, by the way. We'll read this in a couple minutes. Jesus Christ, this guy, like, I'm getting so much material off this guy. Each of the 16 games is precious to every independent contractor in the league looking for his next payday. The mere inkling of an organization intentionally tanking decreases the available player and coach pool to hire from. No, not really, because Byron Jones went to Miami after Miami had naturally tanked for two attack of the Loa. Douglas, again, narratives. That is a narrative, and that is a dumb narrative, and that is a false narrative that you are building up. Douglas understands this. He also understands that a franchise doing everything in its power to win a game usually brings the best results over the long haul. And then he quote tweets himself in his own article, which is a dumb thing. Like, as much as I talk for, like, hours on end, I also bring in other people to bring out their ideas, and then I either agree with their ideas or I destroy their ideas. Regardless, I bring in other perspectives occasionally in my own podcast. He's quote tweeting. He is literally quoting himself in the article, and this is why I had to bring him up because the article, not the article, the tweeting question is, for those Jets fans mourning the, uh, mourning the likely loss of Trevor Lawrence, remember this one thing, doing the right thing and conducting your business the right way Trying to win every game, no matter the situation, usually works out in the grand scheme of things. Take flight. Uh, what is this? Kindergarten? No, it does not. It never does. Maybe not never, but it doesn't do it in the way that you think it does. If that worked out, then the Patriots just fucking winning for the last 20 years wouldn't have worked out the same way. The Patriots cut players a year to two years before they're cuttable. What are you talking about? The Patriots have been smoking you for the last 20 years. They've destroyed you. So the Jets do business in the right way, right? The Jets, they trying to win every game, no matter the situation, usually works out in the grand scheme of things. So what have the Jets been doing for the last 20 years? Trying to lose every single game? Every single year? With Rex Ryan and all those other coaches? I can't even name how many coaches and players there have been, and let alone the quarterbacks and things of that nature. So what, they just weren't trying to win in the last 20 years? Now that they are, they're, you know, it's going to work out in the grand scheme of things? No. That's so broad in general. And on top of that, that's unfactual. That's mysterical. Mysterical? Yeah, that's, that's mysterious and opaque. It's like, what do you mean in the grand scheme of things? Do you mean winning a Super Bowl? Well, I would like to see the Jets compete in the AFC playoffs consistently or at least go to the damn Super Bowl once in my lifetime or at least be a, you know, a consistently mediocre organization. They've been terrible for like 20 years, bro. What are you talking about? Jets suck. They've sucked for 20 years, 20 plus years. They've sucked for God knows how long, actually. It's not just my generation and my uh, lifetime that they've sucked. They've sucked pretty much after Joe Namath won that Super Bowl and guaranteed a victory. That's how long they sucked. On this day, continuing forward with the article, Douglas's options 
at number two are much more rewarding than than on Thursday. If a team comes calling for Fields at number two, Douglas can bring in a King's ransom and still end up with Zach Wilson. The teams that want Pania Sewell will now have to outbid the quarterback-starving teams that want Fields at number two. Douglas can even snag Fields at number two if he feels comfortable with the kid. Again, I cringe. Hell, in, in the bizarro NFL, the Jags love what they hear from Fields in their one-on-one -on -one conversations and stun the world at number one. What? Leaving Lawrence for the Jets. Okay, so this is just a dumb article. So you want... So you're trying to form a narrative. Okay, let's just click off this. Continuing forward with another article that I'm going to try. And he quotes himself again. Really? And this article about tanking. I'm not going to read the entire game or the entire article. Excuse me. I'm just going to read part of it. I'm going to put on some music so that way you don't have to like listen to me read all of these um all of the articles or all of this article. Yeah. Oh my god, pause, pause, pause. Holy shit, this is so dumb. I already found like, oh my God, I already found one, one part of the article that just dumb. There's no guarantee Lawrence enters the draft. Remember the kid is recovering from COVID-19 and his team's loss to Notre Dame is another potential reason he'll want to stay for that final season. It's a thought Jets fans vehemently thumb their noses at, yet it remains a realistic possibility. No, it's not a possibility. Even as I was like, Trevor Lawrence should stay in college to avoid the Jets. Even I was like, in the back of my mind, I was like, there's no way he's not coming out of college and getting paid millions of dollars to play football over like having to go to class. It's like, oh yeah, he wants to go back and win against Notre Dame. It's like he plays them in the, uh, in the ACC championship game and fucking destroyed them. Like, he's, he, the art, oh my god, this guy, oh my god, dude, like, oh man, oh my god, how do I explain this? So, he talks about, 
Okay. I'm never reading from this guy ever again. You know, there's like... Let me exit off of this article. You know, there's like some people in the NFL that are just, that are like in the media that I'm just like... Holy fuck. I'm taking off everything. I'm taking off my glasses. Taking off my earbuds. I have no idea how this guy like can last this long in the NFL and the media. I really, I really, really don't, man. This guy brings up in the article about tanking. He brings up the Colts. He brings up the Colts as like the greatest reason for tanking and how like tanking doesn't necessarily work all the time or how tanking is like, but obviously back then the Colts were like, let me, let me read it. Like I'm, I'm so flustered right now with the stupidity that was in that article that I like literally forgot like what he was saying. Hold on. Let me just do a, a little quick skim here. And the article headline is ta- NFL tanking is mostly a fictional idea especially for the New York Jets. And then he goes on this diatribe about legitimate tanking examples. Of course, legitimate tanking examples has happened previously. Well, sort of. The greatest example hit us back in 2011 when Peyton Manning was lost for the season. Indianapolis Colts GM Bo Polian decided to roll with Young and improving Curtis Painter at quarterback. Well, again, sort of. Veteran, blah, 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 blah. In fact, the Colts did win two of their final three games that season, finishing 2-14. and 14. It was still enough to land mega prospect Andrew Luck, but only thanks to a tiebreaker advantage over the St. Louis Rams. Other than the 2011 Colts example, there isn't much tanking evidence, and even in the Colts' case, it's tough to fully believe in the tank when the team won two of its last three contests. Continuing forward with the article. Elsewhere, the fire cell driven Miami Dolphins looked the part a year ago, losing their first seven games of the season. They were thought of as a lock to land at number one, ultimately landing then top prospect to attack Valoa. Miami won five of its last nine games, including a victory over the Jets in week nine for its first win. The Dolphins ended up in the five hole. And in a crazy twist of fate, they found they still found a way to land the Alabama lefty. From tanking to Tua, for from tanking for Tua to actually winning five games and still winding up with the exact same guy several months later is just another example of why NFL tanking is more of a media mirage than flat out truth. I love somebody who's a part of the media talks about the media in like this like negative way or this like like weird way where he's like antagonistic towards the media while even being a media member himself. The other recent example brings us to Tampa. The Bucks pulled many of their stars, Mike Evans, Levante David, Vincent Jackson, in week 17 of the 2014 season after leading the New Orleans Saints 28 to 0, 20 to 20 to 7, excuse me, at halftime. They ultimately lost 23 to 20 en route to Jameis Winston as as the team's quarterback in one hole in the one hole of the 2015 NFL draft. Other less significant examples exist, but for the most part, it's rarely happened in the NFL. Yeah, it hasn't. But when it has happened, specifically in the Dolphins' case, it has worked out beautifully for them. First and foremost, about Tua, let's just get something straight. Joe Burrow was in that draft class. Remember what happened last year? Joe Burrow was in that draft class. And also, 
Tua had gotten hurt that year. He had had a hip injury. People were worried about him. It was the medical. Um, it was it was the same hip injury that took out um, Bo Jackson, and people were under-evaluating Tua. I kind of was myself. I believe that Justin Herbert was the most pro-ready NFL quarterback in the draft outside of Joe Burrow, which I was obviously correct at because Joe, uh, Joe Burrow for the Bengals were awesome, and Justin Herbert for the Chargers is also awesome. But yes, like Tua, he went to the Dolphins not because they um, they won some games and they got lucky. It was like, no, because he got hurt and they got lucky. That there were like other prospects that were, in my opinion, better prospects than Tua Tagovailoa. It worked, but it it almost didn't work. Because if Joe Burrow didn't have the season that he had and Tua was healthy, Chargers, to be honest with you, probably draft Tua. And then the Dolphins would have missed out on, yes, Tua Tagovailoa. And yes, losing games and losing a lot of games is a part of tanking. And this is going to sound weird when I'm about to say, because I've seen this happen in the NBA, where just some nights, teams that are trying to tank, teams that are trying to lose, teams with like B-team players, they beat A-team players. I saw the Jags do it this year. I was like, wow, the Jags are kind of getting close to winning games. They're trying to tank as well. It was obvious. By the way, it, it's working for the Jags. Because the Jags right now are tanking their asses off. And I love how this guy, in this article, when was this article made? This article was made last two months ago in November. Jags traded away all of their best players for picks. And then, and that check this out. And then they essentially said, we're going to also trade, not trade, release our best running back. Give Gardner Minshew only one guy to throw the football to, and that's it. That's it. And let's mention them. Hmm. Mm-mm-mm. What else happened? Is there hasn't there been other teams that have been tanking? I don't want to say the Browns tanked, but I mean, I mean, the Browns are just terrible, right? But still, they've gotten like significant pieces. They've gotten Miles Garrett. They've gotten Denzel, uh, uh, Denzel Ward. They've gotten Baker Mayfield. They've gotten significant pieces to the uh, to the construction of the Browns' offense and defense via losing a shit ton of games and having high-ranking draft picks while also being able to trade off some, some picks and also getting Odell Beckham Jr. Just saying. It works. In the context of you get high-ranking draft picks by losing football games. I wouldn't do it. I would try to find ways to actually win. But yeah. Tanking can semi-work. It's like one of those articles or one of those like... um, One of those journalists that I'm never going to read ever again, man. Holy smokes, that was terrible. Holy smokes. Anything else I got for you today? Like an hour and 47 minutes into the podcast. 
Yes, I do. I have some other stuff. I was going to talk about Dallas and how Dallas um, Dallas has like a year in, a re- in review. I'll probably talk about that later on as the year actually ends because it's kind of dumb to talk about them with like... I can talk about Dallas in like a year in, a re- in review on like Monday, for example, instead of like trying to talk about them on like like a couple of days before the season is over with. But I'm happy with the rookies. Um, I'm not so happy with the... Uh, with some of the veterans on the team, like Demarcus Lawrence and Jalen Smith and Leighton Vander Esch in their play. But yeah, I'm happy with the rookies. The rookies are fine. But, talked about the MVP. Oh yeah. Let me do kind of my final list of, um, of guys that I think, and I made it this like made men list. I'll just talk about like franchise quarterbacks, right? So these are guys that I think you can pay like over 30 plus million dollars annually, and you should pay over 30 plus million dollars annually. Um, Whatever they want, you should probably give them because they're franchise quarterbacks and they're they're guys that you need to win football games with. And some of these guys are already getting paid. Some of these guys aren't. But um, here's the list. In no particular order, by the way, it's not, this isn't a, List as in, I have this guy at one, I have this guy. This is just like sometimes, this, these are just players that I thought of, of off the top of my head. And then I made sure to look at their teams and make sure I wasn't missing anybody. So there you go. All right. So, Dak Prescott, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, Joe Burrow, obviously, Justin Herbert, Matt Ryan, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Daniel Jones, Kyler Murray, Derek Carr, Josh Allen, Gardner Minshew, Jalen Hurts. Some of these are a little bit premature. Like, I may have to wait a little bit more on Jalen Hurts and Gardner Minshew and a little bit. And, you know, Matt Ryan is, you know, kind of old. But I think Matt Ryan is still great. Some of the guys that I kind of have outside of this list, three guys, as a matter of fact, Baker Mayfield, Drew Brees, Ben Roethlisberger, they're all playing like, they're all they're all relying on something. And specifically, it's like defense, running game, wide receivers. They can't do it by themselves. They cannot do it by themselves. And Jalen really, I think, needs one guy. Jalen Hurts. I've been really impressed by what he's done over the last couple of weeks. I know a lot of people are a little bit bullish on him. A lot of people are like, oh, man, you can't you can't have Jalen Hurts as the quarterback. He's terrible. Like, Carson Wentz is more talent. I don't care about co- talent. Joe Milton has a lot of talent. Joe Milton is not better than Mac Jones, who has who doesn't have the same arm, doesn't have the same athleticism. He's a better pocket passer. He's a better passer of the football in general. I think Jalen Hurts is a great quarterback, or could become a great quarterback. Same thing goes with a lot of the young guys that I have in the draft. The reason why I don't have Tua here is because I just haven't seen enough of him. 
And he's constantly being pulled out of games. Like, again, right? I think Justin Herbert is the best pro-style, pro-ready quarterback in last year's draft. Besides Joe, obviously. And he's proving it time and time and time and time and time again. And it's like, Joe Burrow, not Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert has really shown off what he can do. All he needs, like, I, I've watched the Chargers, like, there are times where they just, like, fold defensively. And I don't know if it's because they lack Duran James, because remember, Duran James isn't here, there, or they need another guy to pair with Joey Bosa, and maybe it's Melvin Ingram. I don't know if Melvin Ingram got paid. We'll see. But they may, they're probably going to get another pass rusher. Or another corner to pair with Casey Hayward Jr., who's also an awesome corner as well. But Justin Herbert is awesome. He's been awesome. Tua, I want to see more. And I'm going to see more of him in the playoffs, hopefully. So we'll see what happens. And maybe I'll see more of him this weekend because he's got to play this weekend. Because Ryan Fitzpatrick has the Rona. Deshaun Watson, by the way, has been absolutely spectacular this year. Considering how absolutely abhorrently god-awful and terrible the Houston Texans have been. It is absolutely a crime shame how bad they have been this year. Especially because he did, like, like Deshaun Watson, I thought he was great. Deshaun is an elite level quarterback. He is. And it's such a crying fucking shame that they traded away his best wide receiver for nobody. For fucking nobody. That's anywhere close to him. Close to Deshaun, close to DeAndre Hopkins. And they're like, yeah, we're going to trade away D-Hop for nobody. And then we're going to say, hey, Deshaun, go out and win football games. And he tries, but he has nobody. They paid injury-prone Wide receivers. Like any owner who's worth their salt would have been like, no. No, we are not signing injury-prone wide receivers after we just gave up DeAndre Hopkins. Hey, why didn't we get a first-round draft pick for DeAndre Hopkins? He's the best wide receiver in the game. Why didn't we get multiple first-round draft picks? D-Hop. We didn't get any first-round draft picks for DeAndre Hopkins? Are you bleeping kidding me? What? We didn't get any for DeAndre Hopkins. We didn't get what? A third and a fifth? What? And we got David Johnson? I still can't, like, like I, I, I talked about it, I don't know, a couple days ago, months ago. We, I don't know how long ago I talked about it. But I talk, I, I'm like, I'm, I, I really dislike the situation in Texas, man. The only thing that's good about it is DeAndre, uh, not DeAndre, Deshaun Watson. And he has been spectacular. This year. Absolutely spectacular. Some of these are pretty self-explanatory. Some of them aren't. Just wanted to elaborate a little bit on some of them. Franchise quarterbacks signed them. 16 in total. Three more guys that are left out. Ben Roethlisberger, I think, is old. And he just... They can't throw the ball deep anymore. Chase Claypool is a monster. And they can't find a way to get the ball to him. That's a problem. Big problem. Same thing goes with Drew Brees. Um, 
not the same guy. Same thing with him. He doesn't throw the ball deep. It sucks to see it. But yes, like, Drew Brees is not what, uh, where he once was when it comes to throwing the actual football. At the highest of levels, of course. Baker Mayfield is a question mark. I just, like, I talked about it. We'll see what he does next season. Like, if he's the same guy, if he can't, like, if he can't win games out of the pocket, not out of the pocket, but out of, like, play action, if he can't do that, it's not a franchise guy, which is why I don't have him here on my list as a franchise quarterback. I have him outside the list, but because he can't win games without just using play action, like, all the time, it's like, that's a problem. And by, like, what I mean by, like, using play action all the time, I mean, like, his best throws, his most accurate throws, they don't come from the pocket. They come from literally play action, which I'm like, uh, that's that's not good, like, at all. For, like, a third-year quarterback, it's like, I can go on the short list of players that literally do the exact same, like, that are literally, like, play action passers. Like, not play action passers, but are pocket passers that can also use play action passers. Like, the majority of the players on this list already – by the way, like, for example, Deshaun, like, like all, all of the quarterbacks that I listed, they can use play action passing, but they can also use pocket passing as well while being incredibly accurate from the pocket. Dak Prescott, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Mac Jones, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Daniel Jones, Kyler Murray, Derek Carr, Josh Allen, Gardner Minshew, Jalen Hurts. They can all do both, right? All of them can do both. It's like Baker Mayfield, he just can't do both. And it's like, once you shut down the run, you shut down the Browns. Offensively, of course. Speaking of one guy on this list that's kind of a head-scratcher and a question mark, Daniel Jones. I think Daniel Jones' second year is good. I think he's a franchise guy. I wouldn't have any problem paying him a lot of money. And I know his stats are fucking garbage. They are god-awful. They are terrible. They are worse than what I thought they were. But they are. But I think he is a franchise guy. I think the dysfunction with the Giants right now, offensively especially, no thanks to Jason Garrett, and the fact that I don't think he has a true number one wide receiver because he has Golden Tate and then Sterling Shepard, and then I, I don't know who his other guys are. And the fact that they aren't using Evan Ingram properly at all. Let me check out Evan Ingram's numbers, like year to year, because... I would bet some money his numbers have dropped off a cliff. Mm, no, not really. He's having his second most. Yeah, uh, he's having like his second most. He's having his second. Eh, not really dropped off a cliff. Like he's having his second most yards when it comes to the season at like 637. And then like one touchdown on the season and like 61 yards. Not 61 yards, 61 targets, or not 61 targets, excuse me, 61 receptions. But still, like, when you actually watch them in the game, they, he, like, they're not using him as necessarily as a wideout, which is essentially what he is. He's like, he's like um, Darren Waller. He's like a tight end that, that's, that can essentially be lined up as a wide receiver. But I think, like, with another offensive coordinator, I don't know who Joe Judge is going to get, but with somebody else besides Jason Garrett, I think 
Daniel Jones will kind of go back to that 2018 season. Not yeah, that 20 2019 season where he was awesome for the Giants. And I think he'll kind of return to form once again. And I think he'll be better. I know he has nine touchdowns, nine interceptions, but I've seen him play and kind of surpass the terribleness of the Giants. But he does, I think, need a number a, a number one wide receiver. Whether it's Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, get him Devontae Smith or Jamar Chase. Get him somebody. Jesus Christ, man. We'll see what they do. But yeah, I think I think he needs one more year. I'm not willing to like throw him away just yet. But again, he's he's kind of on thin ice. Especially because it's like the Giants, if you're gonna get another quarterback, now is kind of the time to do it. But I don't think they will, and I don't think they should. Just yet. It's gonna be close. But I don't think they should get one. Just yet. Anyways. Final thing I got today. The final list of predictions for this weekend. I'm so glad to get uh, specifically this, this season over with. Specifically because the Cowboys have sucked so badly and I am so excited and I am praying to Jesus. Dear God, let the Cowboys fall on their own sword. Let them lose once again. And I'm hoping that my guy Daniel Jones, for the love of Christ, can do it. I'm hoping. And remember, there is there is a, a dichotomy, right? Right? A dichotomy with this. There's times where I want things to happen, but I also am smart and I'm like, it probably won't happen the way that I want it to happen, but I hope that it'll happen the way that I want it to happen. And the way that I want it to happen is I want Dallas to lose tomorrow and I probably, and I want somebody else to win. I want Dallas to lose and I like, I want specifically the Eagles to win. So that way the Eagles will have a higher draft pick. I don't want the I don't want the Eagles to you know to lose or not to lose but to um you know I don't want the Eagles to win or not to not to win excuse me I don't want the Eagles to lose I want the Eagles to win tomorrow I want them to win I want them to dominate I want Jalen Hurts to win and I want the Giants in the playoffs as the one seed that's what I want. I want them to win. I want the Cowboys to go home, and I want them to stay their asses home. I don't want to see them in the damn playoffs. So with that being said, final, final list. Week 17 of the NFL season. Final list of predictions. Vikings versus Lions. You know, I kept on thinking to myself, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to pick the Lions. I'm going to pick the Lions. I'm going to pick the Lions. I kept on, for some weird reason, the Lions were on my mind, and uh, I'm not picking the Lions. I'm picking the Vikings. Lions are worse than the Vikings, and that's hard to do, but the Lions have succeeded in uh, being the worst team for the upteenth time. How many times have they been, uh, like uh, like um, Pro Football Reference has it, how many times have they been, have they been the Lions, uh, not the Lions, excuse me, the worst in their division? Let me look it up. 
Worst in their division is four out of four. <clears throat> Let's just see their record. Oh, they've been fourth in their division for the last three years. Well, what is that? What am I watching? Oh, what is that? Is that a hologram? What is that? I'm watching, what? Those are drones? You, like, I'm watching Alabama versus North Carolina, right? They have these, like, lights that are floating in the sky. I think they're drones. But they have these lights that are floating in the sky, and I thought they were fireworks at first. But they have fireworks going off in the background, and it's the lights that they can control Plus the firework, it's so cool. This halftime show is so cool, and it, and they're just playing. It's the Capital One thing, and it just keeps on showing Capital One. But it's like Jesus Christ, man. Like the music selection is terrible, though. It's like dubstep music, and it's just it's it's just got awful. Yeah. So before um. Patricia, and like um Bob Quinn, you know they were like second in the division, second, third, second third and then fourth all the way back in 2012 but with those two bozos it's been like fourth 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 right but yeah they've essentially been the laughing stock of their division there were five teams playing in the nfc north really yeah for like a pretty long time huh i didn't know that whatever jesus christ man Hmm. Sorry about that. Let me go back. So, anyways. I got Vikings winning against the Lions. Bucks beating, beating the Falcons. There's some teams that are going to play their starters. There's some teams that aren't going to play their starters. Um, We'll kind of see and we'll kind of monitor that as the day goes on. But for the most part, it'll affect some games like the Chiefs versus the Chargers. I have the Chargers winning that game. Um, because they're going to rest Patrick Mahomes, the Chiefs are. But it won't affect other games. And um, I think the Bucks are still going to try and compete um, tomorrow, at least for a little bit. I think they're only, like, where are they in the conference? Hold on, I got a burp. Excuse me. Um, Right now, they are the fifth seed. If the Rams win, I think. I'm not sure about tiebreakers or whatever, but they're, they're probably not, like, super stoked about losing seeding. I know. Like, they don't want to be, like, the sec uh, the uh, the the sixth-ranked team. So I think that the Bucs, they're still going to... Um, they're still going to go out tomorrow and actually try to win football games. But um, I think they're also, like, somewhere... If it becomes obvious that the Falcons have just laid down and died... I think the Bucks will just rest all of their starters and maybe the Falcons can make a push after that. Maybe they can't. We'll see. I think, though, the Bucks will beat the Falcons tomorrow. We'll see. 
Patriots versus Jets. Jets are trying to tank so the Patriots will win. And the Jets are bad, regardless of whether or not they're tanking or not. Dolphins versus Bills. Um, Bills, and again, it's a similar kind of like philosophy where the Bills, they may or may not rest some of their players. They're 12-3 and right now, but the Steelers are also 12-3, and and I don't think the Bills want to give up their second seed. So they may just... It, 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 like the the Dolphins, by the way, are also trying to play into the playoffs as well. They're ten and five, so I think the Dolphins and the Bills are going to try and compete, not compete, but they're going to try and like play and win tomorrow. I don't think the Bills are going to rest, rest their players. I think they're going to try and win. I don't think they want the Steelers to have that second seed. I think they want it so that way, if they if Kansas City does get eliminated from the playoffs, the Bills have home seed or home field advantage plus. If they make it to the AFC Championship game, they'll have home field advantage in the playoffs until they play up against Kansas City. We'll see what happens with the Bills later on. Steelers versus Browns. I'm taking the Browns because... Are the Steelers resting their players? I'm taking the Browns. I think the, the Steelers are missing way too much on defense to be able to stop Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. And I think that... Because I, I, I think the Steelers, they may overlook the Browns. And uh, the Browns are also applying to get into the playoffs as well. Even though they're 10-5. and five. There's a lot of 10-5 and five teams. There's four 10-5 and five teams going into Sunday. and uh, For the AFC, of course. So, because of that, only three can get in. Not four, only three. So, we'll see what happens with, um, with the wild card seed. But I think the Browns are going to take it against the Steelers. Cowboys at Giants. I'm hoping the Cowboys lose to the Giants. I don't see how they do. I really don't. It's going to be really, really hard for the Cowboys to lose to the Giants. But um, hopefully they find a way, and hopefully Daniel Jones can do what the Cowboys, do unto the Cowboys what they did to him, uh, specifically to the Giants in an end-of-season game. One of Eli Manning's last games and one of his best games um, uh, he, he, you know, he scored like 30 points against the 2018 Cowboys defense, which was a great defense for the Cowboys. And then Dak Prescott threw like a, um, an awesome pass in the back of the end zone. And this is when I was like, I'm calling it. Dak's the franchise guy. Jerry, pay him his money. He's awesome. Jerry didn't pay him his money. Hey, Jerry, pay him his money. He's awesome. I would rather have him as a quarterback than you as an owner. Okay, you not on that. I'm like, go away. Sell the team. Give it a Dak. But yeah. Um, I'm picking the Cowboys over the Giants. Hopefully, that's a jinx. Hopefully, it works against them. I'm going to be playing um, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles song. Not the Fly Eagles Fly, the one that they played at the Super Bowl. The the uh, the Dreams, the Knights. Hold on. I'm playing. I, I, I want to play it right now. What's it called? Um, Philadelphia Eagles? No, 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 no. It's the Meek Mill one. Everybody knows this. Dreams and Nightmares. I'm playing it. Hold on. Turn it up. You ready? Uh. Anyways. I'm hoping for a Philadelphia Eagles victory. I'm hoping for a New York Giants victory. I'm hoping for the Cowboys to lose, lose, lose tomorrow. Maybe the Washington football team to win. I'm hoping that because Washington, they don't need any more high-ranking draft picks. 
shortage, she try and bless me like I said I chill like a nigga sneeze. Nigga, please for them trick squeeze them get for the next pick. Never let them hoes get in between the Ravens versus Bengals. Come on, man. Bengals got nobody. They don't got Joe. I don't even think they have Joe Mixon. Joe Burrow, Joe Mixon. They don't have the Joes. Don't got anybody. Right? Bengals are screwed. Ravens are awesome. Ravens may rest some of their players tomorrow. We'll see. Depends on how the game goes. But I don't think the Ravens can get any better when it comes to seeding in the playoffs, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they're 10-5. and five. They don't want to lose tomorrow because... Uh, the Browns are 10 and 5. The Ravens have the uh, the tiebreaker right now, so they're like they're the second seed in their division. They gotta win them all to get into the playoffs. Can't be complacent. Jags versus Colts. Colts, another 10 and 5 team. Titans versus Texans. Titans, obviously, they're the Texans, and again, the Titans are another 10 and 5 team. Cardinals versus Rams. Rams. I'm listening to the song right now. Can we just turn it up just a little bit? That Lambo, my new bitch, she'll ride like my ghost. I'm riding around my city with my head strapped on my toes. Cause these niggas want me dead, and I gotta make it back home. Cause my mama need that bill money, my son needs some milk. All right. How old is Meek Mill, by the way? He's, he has to be 30 years old, right? He can't be 40. Yeah, he's 33. He wrote that song when he was like in his 20s. Jesus Christ. Alright. Cardinals versus Rams. I'm taking the Rams over the Cardinals. Again, the Rams are competing for a playoff spot, and I think the Rams are better right now than the Cardinals. I think just team wise, I don't think the Cardinals are, are as good. Aaron Donald should have an awesome day today or tomorrow. Saints versus Panthers. Saints are better than the Panthers. Even though the Saints won't have Alvin Kamara because he has COVID. We'll see what happens on that later on. Packers versus Bears. Packers, again, they're also playing for a playoff spot. Um, it's a lot more competitive at the one seed than in the NFC East, or the NFC, excuse me, than in the AFC, where the Seahawks, the Packers, and the Saints are all kind of competing for that one seed. So they all kind of like, they all need to win. The Packers need to win tomorrow to essentially stay in first place. The Seahawks and the Saints need to win to essentially try to get there as well. I think the Packers are going to compete tomorrow. I think they're going to try and win. Chargers versus Chiefs. Um, Chargers, Chiefs are resting their more significant players. 49ers versus Seahawks. Seahawks are better. They're going to win. Raiders versus Broncos. Raiders, I think the Raiders are better even though they're out of the playoffs. Washington versus Eagles. I'm taking the Washington football team to beat the Eagles, but I'm also hoping that the Eagles win. And hopefully that they, you know, take home. I mean, they can't win the division because, you know, they lost against the Cowboys uh, last week, excuse me. But I'm hoping that the Eagles make some noise. I hope that they win. I hope that the Cowboys lose. Fly, Eagles, fly. Tomorrow, win, Giants, win. Uh, Washington, Cowboys, I hope you lose. This right here for anyone who ride with me. Hurt me laugh, watch me cry, did time with me. In the game, not just on the sideline with me. Ladies and gentlemen. This has been 24's podcast, the best video gaming and sports podcast on the entire internet. If you like this podcast, you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Spotify. All of these links, all of these podcast links will be in the link in the description. 
I'll be back tomorrow bright and early for Dallas Cowboys versus the New York Giants. Please, dear God, lose. Dear God, lose. I want to have a high-ranking draft pick. Dear God, Cowboys. Hey, Cowboys, lose tomorrow. And we got some more games to cast. I think what possibly is football games we got. NFL football. You heard me say NFL football. The, like my DVR literally heard me say NFL football and they're like, we didn't catch that 24. Can you please repeat it again? Because we're a piece of shit automated TV remote. Cowboys. Ver Ooh, baby. Yes, sir. We got, oh my gosh. You know what I'm going to do? I had recording Rams versus Cardinals. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to say no. We're not going to watch that game. We're going to say cancel. Cancel. Yes. Cancel that recording. Bang. We're going to get rid of the Cardinals versus the Rams. And then we're going to go over to Pittsburgh versus the Browns. Because I think this is going to be an interesting football game. Pittsburgh versus the Browns. We're going to watch that game. And then we're going to finish off Sunday night, like everybody else, Washington versus Eagles. So the, the Sunday game lineups are Cowboys at Giants, Pittsburgh at Browns, Washington at Eagles. We'll watch all four of those games. All three of those games. I can't count today, apparently. All three of those games tomorrow. Ladies and gentlemen, until tomorrow, I hope you have a fantastic day. And I will see you next time. Feel like the older I get, the quicker time pass. Some people live in the past, others live in a flash. Keeping your picture perfect life, it could be gone in a flash. Texting on your way to work, and now your brain's on the dash. We all powerless, especially people think power lasts. I ain't cowardice, but sometimes wish I live behind a mask. Cause facing this world is such a rigorous task. It 